That Metal Interview. Our guest for this episode of That Metal Interview with myself, James, is none other than Kevin Martin of the tremendous band Candle Box, which are to release a brand new album by the name of Wolves on September 17th of this year 2021 the album is to be named wolves and is to be released on september 17th so you guys can go ahead and pre-order it uh go to their website uh candleboxrocks.com i believe if you forget that i go ahead and just search kevin martin or candlebox on social media and you can find those links on there so uh, Kevin Martin is our guest and they have a brand new single that we are spinning on J-Rock's Metal Zone, our radio station, a radio show, jrocksmetalzone.com. And my weakness is the latest uh, effort by Kevin Martin and the gang, Candlebox. And uh, sometime last year, they released another single by the name of Let Me Down Easy, which was co-written by Chris Cornell's brother, Pete, along with uh, Kevin Martin, of course. So check that out also. So they got some good songs out there. They got some badass music. Candlebox did not die or end or finish in the 90s. These guys have kept on rolling and kept the train going, and they got some badass music. So check it out and check out their latest one, of course, My Weakness. And so uh, here is our interview with the great Kevin Martin of Candlebox. Enjoy. Let's start with the new single... My Weakness, that's the brand new single, right? Uh, very, very cool jam. Uh, we're spinning it on our online station, J-Rock's Metal Zone. <clears throat> brand new album coming out, uh, Wolves, September 17th, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, can you talk to us about the, this long-awaited record? <laughs> <laughs> Too long-awaited. Uh, right? yeah, we, we actually uh, we finished it. Uh, well, I finished vocals on it in January of last year, 2020. And then, um, so we recorded the record in August of 2019, um, and then I took like four months to work on the lyrics and melodies and stuff, because I, I kind of felt like I, I wanted to make sure that the songs were you know, pretty much close to perfect, rather than a lot of times what I do is um, I'll, I'll kind of, I tend to do what Dave Grohl does, where I get in the studio and I let the song kind of speak to me, and then I write the lyrics during the process of, of recording. Um, and with this one, I wanted to spend more time focusing on um, lyrical content and melody <laughs> because I wasn't really prepared to do that in uh, in uh, August of 2019. Yeah. Excuse me. <clears throat> so uh, I spent uh, yeah, I spent four months writing the, the lyrics, and then I went to Houston uh, in January of, of 2020 uh, to do the vocals with our producer Dean. Uh, and we just Airbnb the house. We set up a studio in the house, and um, over four days we tracked twelve songs, um, and uh, and just had a really, a really, really good time doing it. Um, and then the, the process was at that point, you know, we'd already started working on artwork and everything to to release the record in August or September of 2020. So uh, that all got shut down uh, a year ago today, yep. and um, and so we. Uh, we, you know, we, we contemplated, you know, do we shelf the record? Do we, uh, do, you know, do we wait to release it in, the, you know, January of this year? And, you know, there were a lot of conversations that happened uh, between March and September of last year. 
And the consensus was, let's release, release uh, the lyric video for um, Let Me Down Easy, uh, which is a song that I did with Peter Cornell, which would kind of, I think, um, to tie people over for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the hopes were us to release two or three more by January of this year. And again, with all the kind of trappings of music and things that were happening in, in the industry, October, November, December of last year, we felt that maybe it was best to wait until uh, till March to release uh, a new kind of single and then the release date coming up uh, September 17th. So, you know, it, it's, it, a lot of it is, um, I don't know, it's, it's frustrating as an artist, um, yeah. but you know, you're, 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 at, you're at the liberty of, of whatever labels that you're, you're dealing with and also distribution and, you know, these, uh, these companies that put your CDs out and produce the vinyl, you know, you, you, you want it out instantly and a lot of times it's, um, it, it's really what the schedule is with the people that are, you know, helping you to, uh, to release this. So that's why, uh, September 17th is release date, but you know, I think, um, God, we've been waiting as long as everybody else to get this fucking thing out. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. And now, you know, we have a date. So we're, we're excited. And, and we're also excited to know that um, the touring's going to be happening again in the fall. And, you know, uh, fingers crossed none of this, you know, gets fucked up again. Oh, wow. Nice. That's news right there. Cool. Yeah. So so what's behind the, the, the title, Wolves? What's the story behind it? Well, I think, you know, for me, the, you know, the last four years of the Trump presidency um, really brought out, I think, the worst in everybody. Um, yeah. You know, uh, like him or not, you know, it's certainly just my opinion. Um, you know, uh, but I felt that um, there was, you know, obviously, and I'm not the only one. There was this ginormous shift um, in, I guess, you know, the psyche of, of society. Um, Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's these lone wolves, and there are these uh, packs, and the pack mentality of, of you know, cancel culture, and uh, or you know, um, attacking, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, or you know, attacking Blue Lives Matter, and all these opinions, and all these, you know, kind of, uh, you know, in my opinion, ridiculous um, statements, you know, not only physically, but. Um, uh, politically and emotionally and you know people just I felt that everyone has kind of lost um, you know lost direction and wolves are a very uh, interesting species um, you know the, the pack leader is not uh, always the one in the front um, you know generally they, they they follow the pack they are um, they are the one who uh, protects you know the alpha male protects the, 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 the pack itself um, and, and that seemed to have kind of um, dissipated in and I felt that in society that we weren't lifting one another up we weren't um, you know praising one another we weren't pushing one another to be great we were pushing one another to be destructive and we were forcing one another to answer for things that we didn't need to answer for and that's kind of where uh, this kind of title wolves came from and, and that um, that lone wolf mentality of uh, I'm just going to do what I want and uh, and you know um, whatever the consequences I don't care I, I fear them not and so that's where the title came from and it also you know the, the record is for us it's fearless because we we didn't stop ourselves from doing 
what we wanted to do or, or a direction we wanted to go. So that's why you have a song like My Weakness, um, you know, against um, Let Me Down Easy, which is this swampy, bluesy rock track where My Weakness is very much, it was written around the, the concept of 80s pop, um, Brian Adams and, and, and that sort of thing, these kind of great, hooky, catchy songs. That I'm a you know huge sucker for. Um, I, I love you know. I'm not ashamed to say I love Brian Adams. I don't think he's written yeah. a bad song. Great music, yeah. yeah. Great music. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and they're epic tracks, you know. And and um, and that's kind of why you know this this record, you know, also why I chose the name Walls is because there's an individual species in every single one of these songs. When and when the record comes out, I think people are going to find that um, there's something for not only everyone but. Um, you know, there's certainly an awful lot of, of this band's uh, changing members and directions over the past uh, 20 years that um, that are reflected in itself. Speaking of uh, Brian Adams and different bands, uh, I heard you're a huge uh, Midnight Oil fan. That's all. Yeah, that's that, that's how I named the band. Yeah, that's a little bit different than uh, than uh, the genre of rock that you play, huh? A little bit different. <laughs> well, you know, I think the interesting thing for me is I grew up listening to all kinds of music, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I had uh, an older sister that turned me on to punk rock and new wave, and, and uh, an older brother that turned me on to uh, metal and, and prog rock, and then and another older brother that turned me on to kind of the European. Um, uh, pop dance music if you will so you know it was, there was always something different in my world um, and then my father was a jazz musician and we listened to a lot of jazz around the house my mother was into gospel and R&B so we listened to a lot of that so I was always kind of influenced by you know my surroundings but Midnight Oil you know for for me as a child I, I've always had an affinity for Australia and things Australians a lot of my favorite bands were Australian uh, bands like Perubu Gurus <clears throat> excuse me Split Ends who are from New Zealand but I found Midnight Oil when I was about um, I don't know, maybe 15 years old and um, there was this I think it was the conviction of, of his stance as a political um, uh, opinion maker if you will um, yeah. Peter Garrett an incredibly talented human being and, um, and, and um, you know great respect for their aboriginal community and this is somebody that was fighting for them and i found that really interesting i'm, I'm also um you know i have great affinity for the native american tribes uh which is why we were, wrote a song years ago called pull away which is about the book that i read called the trail of tears so i have always kind of been from the underdog and midnight oil was one of those bands and peter Garrett, of course that kind of brought that out uh, of me and then I, I went to see them on my 18th birthday in Seattle and um, he was so commanding and um, and, and so incredibly uh, uh, demanding as a, as a performer not only on his band but on himself that um, it just kind of solidified that for me uh, you know this, this great talent uh, uh, and this incredibly gifted band brilliant musicians and, and, uh, oh, yeah. and yeah just great great performance now I understand. Uh, I understand you were a drummer before you turned vocalist. How did that happen? Uh, who who inspired you to drop the drums and pick up a mic? You know. Uh, well, I was I was asked to do some demos by a friend of mine named Rick Vaughn. Uh, that band actually was Scott Mercado, Rick Vaughn, and Perry Alfernis. And they they were writing songs and asked me to sing for them. And um, you know I was like uh, you know I'm a drummer, not a singer, but. 
that became a band called Uncle Duke, and then Rick left, and Pete joined the band, and we became Candlebox. And then Perry left, and oh, yeah. Barty joined the band, and, and that was kind of the story there. I was stuck with the job. Um, I've, I've always tried to go back to playing drums, but, uh, you know, I guess that when the band, you know, uh, started progressing musically, um, it felt as though this was kind of my calling, being the lead singer of a rock and roll band. Yeah. Uh, I, I still, you know, every chance I get, sound checks and whatnot, I sit behind the kit and I play for at least a half an hour a day. But, um, you know, I, it, it, it certainly helps with um, the rhythmic element of, of writing songs um, and, and um, lyrical uh, inspiration as well, because I do... I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty systematic when it comes to syllable uh, count. When it comes to um, you know each line of a verse, so syllabically it's got to fit, and um, and being a drummer helps with that uh, a right. lot because there's yeah. all sorts of um, there's all sorts. Of well, let's go back in time real quick. Uh, back, let's say '93, '94. Uh, how did you feel when you found out your debut album was uh, selling? Sending a bunch of copies and and then you saw your video on MTV. How did that feel, man? You know. Well, I mean, pretty. Uh, yeah, I guess when you start, you know, when you, I guess when you're a kid, you're listening to your favorite bands and stuff, and you know, your your first concert is you know kind of the one that you remember most, and you know, your entire life is music, and then all of a sudden, you know, Madonna calls you and says you've got a gold record. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of mind blowing. Um, <laughs> wow! The pers- you know certainly brings things to perspective that you know maybe it is um, you know life is what you make it, and um, and and if you push yourself hard enough um, to you know to find that dream and, and to and to believe that you're capable of anything, you certainly are. Um, you know, there are a lot of obstacles that are in the way of that for a lot of people, and certainly for Candlebox, you know, being from Seattle. Uh, it was not only a um, help, but it was a hindrance because we were a band that um, the, the city didn't really know. Um, a lot of people didn't know who we were because we were about five years in age younger than Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder and Alice, the guys in Alice in Chains and stuff. So, you know, a lot. there's a lot of difference between a 21-year-old kid and a, and a 17-year-old kid. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly was... Um, our goal as a band was to, you know, sell a certain number of records and, and you dream that you'll have a platinum record someday, but uh, <clears throat> there's no real guarantee that that's going to happen. There are some bands in, in Seattle that we were close friends with that we felt were better than us. Uh, a band called Sweetwater, uh, a band called Green Apple Quickstep, um, that we felt were better than us that um, maybe even deserved it more than we did, um, but never quite achieved. I don't even think sold... Um, hundred thousand records so oh, wow. uh, it was it was amazing for us you know we we I think we I don't know if we handled it correctly uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. you know because you know with, with that success comes access but um, you know we were obviously very very happy and, and excited to have, to have to have accomplished that and to this day you know having a four times platinum record hanging on your wall um, is, is no small feat but uh, yeah it was it was pretty pretty amazing to us wow that's so cool so uh, uh, you've talked about how you've had to fight to gain respect on the Metallica 94 tour 
can you share some stories on that? Was it hard gaining respect, or, what, or what's going on there? What happened there? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Metallica fans aren't, you know, aren't happy to see anybody but Metallica. Yeah. And certainly, suicidal fans aren't happy to see anybody, you know, named Candlebox. Uh, yeah. You know, we were supposed to do that tour with Alice in Chains. Um, it was supposed to be suicidal tendencies, Candlebox, Alice in Chains, Metallica, and Alice was going to be direct support. Um, Lane was in rehab, so Alex. Alice pulled out of the tour, and at the time, Candlebox was selling around 125 to 150 thousand records a week, which Metallica knew, you know, uh, was guaranteeing a certain amount of sale, uh, sales of tickets. But they were also fans of the band. Uh, Lars and James were were fans of Candlebox, and they liked our record. So we were asked by them to to be direct support. Uh, and you know the fight really was to earn the respect of the audience, and um, yeah. and of course suicidal tendencies. You know Mike Muir was not happy to be opening up for for Candlebox. I wow. I never understood why he hated us so much, but you know he, he certainly made it clear to to us that um, you know we weren't welcome uh, in, in his world. But um, you know to each his own, and that's life. And you know we did the tour. We had a you know an amazing time. Uh, you know, playing, I believe we played El Paso, Texas, didn't we, on that run? Or, or was it just Dallas and San Antonio? I can't recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in Albuquerque, you know, somebody threw a, a little fit to Jack Daniels, bottle uh, at me and stuck my head open. I mean, we got shit thrown at us every day in Sacramento. People were throwing shit at us, booed at me at a Buddhist every show. Really? But, you know, I mean, that's, oh, yeah. But, you know, that's, listen, that's part of the, it's part of the course opening for Metallica is, you know it happened with Rush as well when we opened for Rush fans boot us every night you know oh really but you know it's it's it, it, it's it's all part of making you who you are as a musician <laughs> <laughs> it's character character building wow <laughs> what a horrible character building <laughs> well I mean yeah I understand I mean I'm a, I'm a rock fan a rock metal fan and uh, I won't throw a bottle up there I, mean, I understand it I get it you know I get it you know some people are more expressive than others, and you know. <laughs> so uh, I heard you're from San Antonio, or you, well, not from San Antonio, but you spent a couple of years in San Antonio, right? Uh, well, yeah, I, was, I uh, grew up. I grew up there, kind of the formative years of my life. So from uh, eleven to fourteen. Okay. You know, kind of those, you know, puberty years and, and influential years, um, and and certainly one of my favorite cities in the United States. Uh, I, every time I come back to San Antonio, I really do feel like I'm home. Uh, uh, even, even Texas in general, just kind of, I so man, so many memories from those, uh, you know, four years of my life that, um, you know, the changes and experiences I had, uh, I'll never forget. That's so cool. I'm in Texas too. So that's cool to know that, uh, uh, a piece of candle boxes from San Antonio. <laughs> right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to uh, Pete, Pete Cornell. Uh, how did you meet uh, Pete Cornell? And uh, of course, you wrote a song with him. So for how long have you known uh, Pete? <laughs> I met Peter uh, in Seattle, um, God, 1987, maybe 87, 88. Uh, he had a band called Inflatable Soul uh, that I was a big fan of. Um, used to go see him play quite a bit. Uh, I knew his brother Chris actually before, uh, I, I met Chris before I met Pete. Yeah. Um, but we never really, uh, we never played shows together. I mean, so, uh, yeah. jump forward 25 years to the 25th anniversary of the debut album. We're doing two shows in Seattle 
Peter, not Peter, and my manager is married to Pete now, uh, Amy Decker. She's married to Peter, and um, he was at the show. We just started chatting and, and uh, catching up on old times, and and you know, um, sharing our thoughts about life and music and what had happened and how things were going. And I said, man, I would really love to have a, a song from you uh, on my new record. I would, I would just really love that. And uh, he sent me this track acoustically, and, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it. Uh, it felt exactly how it feels right now, even though it was just acoustic. It had the same vibe, the same ass to it. And uh, I was like, yeah, man, this is it. And I wrote the lyrics to it and sent him the pre-production demo that we did with the full band. He's like, that's exactly what it hurt. And I knew that uh, we were on something special. So it was really uh, just, you know, uh, I guess it was 25 years of, of, uh, of something, you know, uh, I guess unconsciously wanting it to happen. Um, with a you know fellow Seattle musician that uh, that I respected, um, it just kind of allowed itself to to appear to I think both of us um, yeah. in that in that conversation we were having at the Paramount Theater about music. It, it just kind of said, yeah, yeah, I, 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 you're, I'm, you two are going to have something, and this is this is what it's going to be. You know, and that, I think that happens with music a lot um, when you're conversing with a fellow musician. It, 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 songs are, you know, floating around you all the time, and it's, if you're aware of them and allow yourself to be aware of them, you can you can reel them in, and you know. Yeah. I think Keith, Keith Richards said something like that, you know, at one point where you can just kind of grab them out of thin air um, if you're if you're conscious. <laughs> now, how do you categorize uh, Candlebox? I've heard uh, it being labeled as grunge, and then just being labeled as straight out rock and roll or bluesy. You know what? How do you ca categorize Candlebox? Uh, I think Candlebox is just a rock and roll band. It's you know got all sorts of influences: blues based, um, punk based, pop based. Um, we just pull from whatever inspires us. Really, um, we don't uh, we don't limit ourselves to um, a certain style of music. <laughs> and I think that's mainly because we've we've just grown over the years as musicians. We've uh, we've become more um, acceptant of the influence that we have um, and the influence that um, may be directed um, uh, towards us as well from yeah. other bands and other musicians and, and, and songs that we love. Okay, so uh, give us your favorite uh, Candlebox album. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, right? They're all good. I would... Uh, I mean, I have favorite songs on each record, but I think overall my favorite album to listen to is Disappearing Airports. Um, nice. Although I really like this new one a lot, um, there are certain things about it that uh, that I just feel kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe I just, I'm a little bit uh, insecure about them. Uh, okay. So, I, you know, which means I'm, I'm not sure how people are going to take them. Because <laughs> um, there's some real honesty in these songs. Uh, whereas Disappearing Airports is, um, I think from top to bottom, just musically, um, my favorite album. Now, now that we're speaking of uh, Disappearing Airports, what, why that title? What, what's behind that story? Uh, that's the painting that's on the front of the record. That's, the, uh, that's what that painting was titled. Um, I had asked a friend of mine, uh, Scott Rivers Fisher, to paint something for the record. And uh, in, 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 sadly, uh, in the second week of him creating something, um, he had a massive coronary heart attack and died. He was only 43 years old. Um, oh, wow. 
So his sister um, reached out to me and said, listen, there's this uh, painting that he was inspired by that he had done called Disappearing Airports, which he used to listen, or he used to, um, when he would listen to your music, uh, he always felt kind of represented the band and had all these kinds of different textures and things in it that um, he felt was like, God, I wish I could, you know, utilize this painting this album that they sent him because we sent in the record to him to listen to to paint to and um, so she said you know he kind of felt that this actually represented the album more than what he started working on and she sent it to me and I said that, you know we'd be honored to put it on the album uh, as a cover so when you buy that record whether you've got the vinyl or, or the CD the first page of the of the lyric booklet tells the story behind the art um, the artist himself and, um, and his kind of influence not only on uh, popular culture, but uh, musically, uh, the band that he was in, and, and, uh, and his friendship with with us as a band as well. Oh wow! What a story! Wow. Um, give us your favorite gig and your worst gig. Oh god. That's a um, tough one. <laughs> favorite gig. Um, probably the first show we played with Rush, just because. That was a dream come true. Cool. Um, worst gig? Wow, that's too many to count. Um, <laughs> right. We've had, you know, we've had some, we've had some bad ones, um, and it's usually the venue. Um, you know, it's not it's not the bands playing; it's it's the venue and lack of security. Uh, that's a tough one, man. I don't I don't know if I could. Yeah. I don't know if I can pinpoint, you know, one worst. Just I would just say that there's, you know, there's several on that list. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yep. Uh, would you like to send a message to the people listening to this podcast? Yeah. Thanks for listening. And um, you know, if you're if you're looking for some some Candlebox music, you, you may not know that, but there are you know six other records that <laughs> we've released right. over the years. Great stuff, by the way. Uh, Great stuff. Thank you, thank you, yeah. No, but I mean, honestly, really just thanks so much for letting us do this for almost 30 years now, coming up on. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you for making time. Keep rocking, and uh, I guess we'll see you sometime in Texas soon. Yeah, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Support Candlebox. Support uh, Mr. Kevin Martin. Support all of their efforts. Uh, Pre-order uh, Wolves, which is their up-and-coming album, to be released, as we said, September 17th of 2021 so go ahead and find them uh go ahead and look online for candleboxrocks.com or search you know candlebox out there on social media or kevin martin for that matter so uh don't forget to subscribe and uh, uh ring that bell for notifications on youtube so that you guys can uh, be aware and get notified when we upload some stuff so thank you for your support from myself james and the staff here at that metal interview and don't forget to keep it metal that metal interview